2: Welcome to the New Books Network. Welcome to New Books in Politics and Polemics, a channel on the New Books Network. I'm your host, Dr. Kirk Megu. I'm also the public relations officer of the United National Congress, the official opposition party in the Republic of Trinidad and Tobago in the Caribbean. Today, my guest is Marco Dondi, author of the book Outgrowing Capitalism, Rethinking Money, to Reshape Society, published by Fast Company Press in 2021 this year, out now in hardcover and on Kindle. Welcome, Marco. Uh,
1: thanks, thanks Kirka, for having me here.
2: All right. right. Right now, uh, you're joining us from Geneva, are you?
1: That's right. All right. Well, what are things like there right now? Um, n- not it's still green, but very, very rainy. So not <laughs> the best season.
2: <laughs> okay, great. Um, yeah, we like to start off our interviews by asking our authors to let our audience know a little bit, of, you know, a, more of their background, uh, especially in relation to the subject of your book. So, can you uh, start off with that for us, please?
1: Sure, Kirk. So, o- o- on one end, uh, my, my professional background: uh, I am a management consultant since pretty much I graduated in two thousand nine and i focused in my career on banking on economic development uh, and then moving into labor education so so a few few different uh, angles uh, on society uh, both private companies government so so really different points of view on society so that's my professional background my education i i have a kind of unique combination of uh, studied engineering finance and economics Um, And then maybe a bit my personal background, right? And and also why I started um, writing this book. Um, I I did uh, join indeed the labor force in 2009. So that was, you know, middle of the crisis. Mm -hmm. Not many were hiring. And uh, I I came from a relatively humble background. So money was an issue uh, growing up. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that was uh, in 2009, middle of the crisis, you know, spent a lot of time and uh, and effort in universities. uh, Can can I
2: ask you a question there? Yes. I see uh, with your studies in engineering, financing and economics, that sounds like uh, derivatives trading and, and things like that. Was that your interest at the time?
1: No, not really actually. it okay. was I mean, it, officially, the course was called management engineering right so so there was a bit of engineering at the beginning, but then moving into economics, organization, finance from the point of view of India, there was a bit of derivatives and so on, but that wasn't really the major and indeed not my interest at the time it was It was though what I specialized in the in the first few years of of work. I mostly worked with uh, with banks for the first couple of years of consulting mm-hmm. right.
2: Yeah. So yeah. So you said you you joined in two thousand the labor force in two thousand and nine, and yeah, money. Yeah, and me. basically,
1: I remember. I still remember. I I had my round of interviews in consulting, which is kind of like a, the one thing that I wanted to do. And uh, uh, you know, my my current employer actually said, "Look, uh, you screwed up an interview, so basically come back once you're done an internship." And I remember it was like uh, you know there weren't many. Uh, many options out there right so i remember i said look if you want like for an internship why don't you offer me and that hopefully like uh, if i'm good you you take me right mm-hmm. and you know that stroke of luck was kind of a sliding door because uh, indeed they offered me an internship but then i've been with them for over 10 years um mm. but you know many opportunities opened to me uh, just because of that stroke of luck which is also what got me to think you know i'm one of the few right like uh, like yeah. the many others that had money issues and they didn't have this stroke of luck like uh They didn't get to, I guess, have the opportunities that I have, which also led me to, for example, take a year off and and really think about how to live and pursue my purpose, if you want, and find my purpose in life, and ultimately got me to write this book.
2: Mm -hmm. Okay. And um, so in in terms of uh, finding your purpose in life, I I mean, I know you've talked about uh, Swaziland, uh, your time there, and that seems to be... Uh, transformative. Uh, it, it, is that sort of what got you interested in in that? And and what is the story there?
1: Yeah. So the story there is that uh, as part of my actually career, I I, I was paid uh, to do an MBA, right? Which is a thing that uh, with my background, I didn't even know what an MBA is, and uh, and so that was a, a year out of work when you really have time to reflect. And it, I kind of had my quarter life crisis at that time. I was twenty six. And I'm like, you know, I'm doing work in banking. I, I'm not sure who I'm benefiting with my work. Uh, like, is this really how I want to live most of my working uh, time, right? It's, it's a lot of time. And so mm-hmm. after that MBA, I took another year off indeed. And I went volunteering in Swaziland, where mostly I was still consulting, but for uh, figuring out how to increase the maize yield in, in Swaziland, which is basically in smallholders. So basically, most of the people who are farmers, they are eating maize. So mm-hmm. that felt uh, just... Uh, very good from um you know I can work and spend my time in uh, in uh, in doing something that I, I i think it has direct value to society, but I think the biggest the biggest uh, uh, changing experience for me was when i I had the time to take a ten days meditation retreat uh, mm-hmm. and that was ultimately what got me to really think about uh, you know what i what i do, how do I want to live my life and i focus on you know i want to make as many people as possible actually go through this experience that I have gone through, which for me is mostly the introspections to say and take the time to say, you know, how do I want to live my life, right? Then people will have different choices, but like uh, not many people I notice have the luxury of, of of taking the time to step back and think about it, right? Which is indeed what got me to, uh, to think, why is it the case that in society these days in the US, in Europe, where there's so much wealth, so much technology advances, so like why is it that everyone is working all their life and i've read a book where you know there was a nurse uh tending to terminally ill patients and and all of these patients many of most of them had regrets and and most of the regrets were you know i haven't lived my life as i wanted i've worked too much i lived the life of uh, that other wanted me to live and and for me it's like how come that we really have to get to the deathbed before taking a step back in life and saying how do i want to live it and i got I got basically close to like a very soon reading. And I think Thomas Piketty's book was also one that that uh, had a big influence on me uh, on, you know, it seems to be intrinsic in capitalism that, uh, you know, uh, we, we, we continuously increase inequality, we concentrate wealth, and therefore there's a lot of people that are left with, uh, uh, you know, making ends meet and having to really focus all of their energy and mindshare on, on just holding on to a job that they have.
2: Yeah, you know that really resonates with me as well because I I I was born and and grew up well in the United States and Canada and um, to immigrant parents and um, and I I just decided to leave when I was uh, twenty one uh, back to the home of my parents where I, I wasn't even born but uh, but but part of that is is that I you know life in in um, the rich countries, uh, you know, was reduced to this, uh, you know, especially from the the, the class background I, I was in, we were not wealthy at all, you know what I mean? But it was, it was reduced to, to this sort of just, you know, working in, in, in that sort of, you know, um, a very strict regulated uh, atmosphere where, where, you know, where let's say the, the standard of living may be uh, less materially, uh, in many ways. However, you know, the, the upper classes in these countries, you know, live comparable lives, uh, to, to to those in rich countries. But, um, but yeah, but, but, but there, there is this, you know, real, uh, um, you know, paradox, you know, because I, I I actually feel, you know, uh, freer and, 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 um, and more fulfilled in in a less materially uh, advanced uh, context, you know, than than all than so many people here who have fantasies about going abroad. So that that that's very interesting, I, I think, and something that resonates with me when I I look at your work and hear your story.
1: Yeah, and oh. that, that indeed mm-hmm. stroke a chord, right? Both in Swaziland, but I've also been, you know, in in the Philippines, in Costa Rica, and in many of these places, you see that a uh, you know some of the folks are really much happier and more relaxed indeed materially yeah. they, are, they, are, they are much behind the standards of developed countries but then i also had the question you know is it like is it necessarily better for these people to get more materially wealthy but then more uh, you know always in a rush uh, and and miserable under many other aspects uh, of life right so so that also indeed got me to think is, is it really like uh, should we keep trying to get these countries to follow the the economic development model and, uh, you know, the future that we have grown to be a custom in, in, in the U.S. and Europe.
2: Yeah, that's interesting. I, I mean, uh, I, I'll just jump ahead to a question here because it fits in. I mean, I, my studies uh, were, was in international development studies at the University of Toronto and then later in Jamaica and then I did politics in the U.K. But, um, uh, uh, yeah, the, I mean, the critique of GDP is, is an old one. Uh, since uh, probably since it started, but uh, definitely, you know, when you had the, the gross national happiness from Bhutan, uh, and then uh, when I, I remember when the Human um, Development Index came out in 1990, I was sort of involved in, in that process in uh, critiquing GDP um, uh, as, as, as the measure, and then also in my own life, you know, critiquing the idea of whether, you know, those societies the rich countries are really the model for everybody and these these are questions you address and ask quite explicitly in your book uh could you expand on that for us please
1: Uh, sure i think i think a first angle is uh, and and now i'm talking a bit more about the developed country right so so those that have achieved a certain material level of material wealth um that's that's actually a lot of research that now shows that gdp is actually completely uncorrelated to most of well-being metrics right whether you take well-being on subjective well-being so how people think about their happiness and life satisfaction or whether you take uh, actual metrics like uh you know uh, whether you look at the environment sustainability or you look at uh, um you know suicide rates or you know homicide rate like uh, you, you name it um Actually, there's basically no more correlation after I think the level that uh, Kate picked at. Uh, basically, there was a book, The Spirit Level, did this analysis on uh, one of the many analyses uh, on this. It, it just, you know, you increase GDP per capita, but that doesn't really mean anything in terms of all the other well-being metric, right? So mm-hmm. that was that was already striking. Like, like a, it's a question on, you know, then why are we still focused so much on GDP, right? Um, mm-hmm. When you look into GDP, indeed there is a uh, you know the concept is it's, it's what countries produce and if some, if they produce them someone buys them it means that generates value right that's why typically you say gross domestic product, product but another way to call it is value added right mm-hmm. at the same time the fact that there's a monetary transaction does not mean that, that this is actually something that creates value right and also the fact that there's whether if there's not a monetary transaction that also doesn't mean that that a certain transaction didn't happen that created value, right? That's right. why most of you know home home uh, based uh, work, that the you know the housewives or yeah. the you know husband wives, husband like house husbands now as well. Uh, but basically, it, it, there's a lot of uh, work in the home uh, yeah. that is not valued. Uh, a lot of the actually now you know uh, Facebook, uh, uh, Google, a lot of uh, a lot of uh, um, a lot of items are basically given for free, right? Mm-hmm. On the other hand, you know, if you have a car accident, on a, on a, I remember it was, I think, New Zealand. There was a there was a study, you know, a car accident increases GDP. Uh, sort a deadly car accident increases GDP by a million. Uh, this right. is not something, you know. It, of course, it's a problem. You need to fix it. And this is the same for uh, you know the healthcare industry, right? Like uh, the more people are sick uh, and then you fix them, the more that increases GDP. But but you you if you had everyone healthy. Uh, you know gdp decreases a lot but but there's much more value in having everyone healthy than having everyone sick and then trying to, to tend to them right so there's a lot mm-hmm. of i guess technicality also on even the is even as a measure of value is, is actually not a good metric right mm-hmm. um, but but i would say to me the the most important uh, issue is that uh, it seems to be one of the few things that uh, we have grown accustomed, accustomed to measure not that measuring it is easy right like if you go into the yeah. weeds of how GDP is measured and estimated there's also a lot of like issues there but like uh, at the end of the day governments most of governments when they need to approve certain initiative they need to uh, you know estimate uh, is this initiative what's the impact on GDP what's the impact on taxes and so on and so that really goes into the core of policymaking and in the core of government spending and and, and I think that is a bit of an issue because it's, uh, if, if you, if you focus on something that doesn't increase, um, many metrics of well um, then you're basically optimizing for, uh, and taking decisions for the wrong goals. Yeah. Yeah,
2: absolutely. So let's, um, get to your, uh, book, uh, title. So you, uh, there are two, I, I guess, two big concepts embedded in the title itself. And well, the title and the subtitle, um, one is outgrowing capitalism, and the other is rethinking money. Um, so, could you explain what you mean by both of those terms—outgrowing capitalism and rethinking money—and why they're important?
1: Uh, yeah, let me start with outgrowing capitalism, and, and I think the concept of outgrowing is 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 showing that capitalism was definitely useful and it had a lot of value, right? So, so it's not that we are say, like I, I didn't want to call something like you know, let's dismantle capitalism or like a, it's, it's a, there's a lot of positives in capitalism. Right. But the right. concept about growing is, you know, as, as a kid grows, you can't, you can't keep, uh, keep him, uh, you know, if it's three years old, you want to change the the clothes that he had when he was two years old. Right. And so the idea that, that is, is behind this is as societies have developed and, and we have reached, um, luckily in, in the U S and Europe, uh, like, at the, a, a certain level of economic maturity, um, um uh, where, where first like I think basically we could afford a change of clothes and then the second thing that it also uh, we need to be aware of is that uh, you also need to change clothes you know if you go out and it's sunny you wear some clothes if it's rainy you change your clothes right and I think now it's a period uh, in in you know the history of earth if you want that uh, you know you have climate change you have an aging population you have artificial intelligence there's a lot of external trends that are questioning whether the clothes of capitalism are still the good one right and so the Mm -hmm. idea of outgrowing is basically showing why capitalism was good and has been good so far and 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 my argument is that it might already be the case that uh, we have already outgrown it. so the clothes is actually already quite tight Mm -hmm. Um, if we look at the future uh, it's to me it's time that we we, we need to look at uh, you know what other clothes can we put on because this is not really what we want uh, so that was without growing capitalism. And I think I think money is is if you want the core um, lever for me to play with, right? Like, uh, as I think you have more questions coming up later, but like, uh, you know, money is really tied, the rule governing money are tied to capitalism. You know, m- money is something we use for any, most of transactions today have some money involved. Uh, and money is that doesn't grow on tree but also it does. It's not found on the, in the ground. Right. So there are mm-hmm. institutions which have regulations that are underpinned by the principles of capitalism that are under the creation and allocation of money. Uh, and we're not talking about capital. I'm talking about really the, the money that we use to, you know, pay, pay the bread or, 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 you mm-hmm. know, buy a car with the online. Right. So, so this is, um it, it is these rules that given money is, is everywhere in society. And, and I, like I, I always had this uh, question also from my engineering, I guess, angle that, you know, I didn't see the money flow in the system and how, how capitalism set up the monetary institutions being um, the best uh, or the most efficient way to do it. Like that was the lever that I basically said, OK, like uh, I want to change capitalism. The, the the way that I think I can improve it is by changing the way money is created and allocated. Um, so, so that was a bit the, the rethinking money. And maybe the last thing is um, if i go back to the to the idea of uh of gdp and um, and and a bit like a, you know why did i start uh, to write this book right mm-hmm. it's because not many I, I thought not many people have the luxury to basically take some time off and have a safety net to say you know i don't i don't for, for a year or for six months i don't need to think of money and to work i, I want to focus on on you know how do i how do i develop uh how, how do i find my purpose and, and then i You know set the direction and then i go for it right and and so the idea that is is if you actually look at the gdp per capita and and within a country as well there is a limit like there is a threshold that if you are underneath actually things become much harder right like uh, you start taking any jobs that you can take you don't leave bad jobs even marriages you're stuck in bad marriages and you can't get out of it because of money so there seems to be a comfort threshold um above which you kind of have opportunities below which you're stuck, um, and so for me the, the idea was like, well, if if the problem is is uh, we need to get as many people above that threshold, well, that threshold, uh, you know, it's uh, it's 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 not actually that uh, expensive. I mean, it is expensive, but it's it's a money issue, right? It's it's not a, uh, and this is linked to the topic of universal basic income, right? A lot of people mm-hmm. are talking about it, right? Yeah. what if we what if we give enough money to people just to get at least at that comfort threshold and then you know everything above is a bonus you can you you need to you know work hard to to you know get more uh, but at least you, you don't you no longer live in a society where you know you, you either work full time whatever job you you get or or you're basically on a street right that is a, an unnecessary amount of stress for the society we have developed into now
2: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So the the argument in your book, how, could you just um, summarize it for our audience? Um, uh,
1: yeah. yeah. So so I would say the argument is we societies in, in developed countries have come to a moment in which we can shift away from, um, let's say, having capitalism as a, as a core foundation of uh, uh, the way we actually mostly create and allocate money. Um, and we can start uh, uh, allocating a portion, creating and allocating a portion of this money, which which we need to create every year. And there's a mechanism to create money every year. Uh, instead of allocating it in the way that it works today, which is mostly by uh, bank lending policies, uh, we would allocate it for a universal basic income. So, so basically, every year we create some money. We we, we fund a universal basic income. Uh, if needed, we could fund other uh, priorities. But of course, uh, like as as soon as you extend the list of things you fund with with new money, you just create too many, uh, too much, and and so that that creates problem. Uh, but so the core argument is, we no longer need to, uh, you know, everyone needs to be working full time uh, all like four years of their life. Uh, we we have some room to basically give some slack to someone, uh, or or at least it doesn't mean that people don't work. It means that uh, you know, sometime they can take some time off, or they can work less, or they can work part time. Uh, because we don't need as many people to work uh now as as we used to do in the past and and I think if we shift some the of their time and we give that security to focus also on fulfilling their own lives uh we can create better societies and in the meantime I also argue that uh, you can still you can still actually grow the economy because it's uh um i think uh, you you still have some questions later but like uh, it's, it's 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 possible
2: right right so i mean there are a lot of uh um other sort of movements and, and concepts that i would like to, to link your ideas to but let's let's explore your ideas a little bit more yeah um, so monetism is uh, so uh, you've coined a concept called monetism and if if i really understand it properly I, your book is basically kind of on your theory of monetism uh and so if you could explain that and tell me if I'm right in my interpretation there. Um, so if you could explain that, uh, where the idea came from and what monetism is, you know, you have this um, money tree, permanent money, you know, you, you spoke about UBI already. Um, so yeah, so how, how these things are are related, what it means, et cetera. you explain that?
1: So yeah, I need to, I need to, take a step back on because i think money is one of those concepts that are, most of people don't have clear how, how money works today right um mm-hmm. and so the the way most money is created is actually linked to uh today but also in, in the past to, to bank loans right so when, when yeah. a bank gives you a loan curve uh you have a bank account and you know it's not that they take the money of someone else and give them to you they just create a deposit account and so now you have a deposit and and they have a uh, an asset which is called loan. So their balance sheet is expanded. And with those same electronic money curve that you now have, you're going to pay, you know, maybe you you pay me, you don't pay me for this podcast, but like uh, imagine you send me some money. Yeah. I have, I have an electronic digit in my bank account. So, so the way money expanded every year is, is mostly through this. Bank activity of creating um,
2: loans is that the same thing as fractional reserve banking, or is more um, or less? It,
1: I mean, it, it kind of is. Um, uh, although I think that model is is also kind of uh, not really precise, right? Because the idea is that uh, you know you have a certain limit of the amount of money that you can create that, that yeah. banks can create, but yeah. the reality is that you know every year this this is a this is a continuously growing pie, right? So so right. It, it, you can always expand, and yes, there are some limits. Uh, but the limits are not imposed, as in uh, you know, 10%. That there's something that is real right. money, and then banks can create on top of it, right? right. Uh, yeah, there are some reserves that the central banks create, um, but but uh, the reserve requirements of banks are typically on certain equity, which which is something that they uh, they can actually also create equity, right? Like uh, this was uh, uh, I remember Steve Keen showed me this this to me with these models, like uh, so basically. If I'm a banker, can I give you a loan to you for 100 that I create that 100 in, in your bank deposit uh, immediately as there's an interest or a fee created uh, for, for giving you that loan, that fee is immediately equity, right? So, so my yeah. activity of creating a deposit and a loan for you uh, also increases my equity, right? So this is really a, 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 like banking continuously expand the, um, uh, the, uh, the amount of money in the system. Uh, yeah. Again, there are some limits, and central banks can control and influence uh, these. But the point the point here is, we we have created uh, this system uh, yeah. for a specific reason because uh, the idea behind it is that uh, you know we're all rational, uh, and and if if Kirk you ask for a loan, it means you 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 think you can repay the loan, and and the bank if if the bank gives you a loan. They think that you can repay the loan, and for repaying that loan plus interest, you might be doing something of value, work, right? Correct. So this is the best way of creating money uh, in so the system.
2: Money is m- money is uh, you know you're talking about money as basically kind of a fiction or a or, or creation or or some sort of abstract tool rather than a physical thing. That, that basically.
1: I mean, it used, it used to be physical. It? Today, today most of it is digital, right? Yeah. Uh, but 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 bottom line, this is, money is always an enabler, right? Like uh, yeah. we all know that if you create, uh, you know, trillions of money, like uh, that's just gonna generate inflation. Uh, but 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 what's important and is uh, you know many economists uh, like uh, do so the economic students will know like uh, year after year the money supply needs to increase uh, together mm-hmm. with the value of the production, right? You, you can't just like, you know, the velocity of money does not increase indefinitely, right? So right. You, you can't expand the value of production without expanding um, the, the the amount of money in the system, right? Otherwise, Correct. it just doesn't work. So so that expansion needs to happen and, and, you know, linked to the rule of capitalism, you know, it's free market, like uh, let's have a free agents like uh, Kirk and myself uh, mm-hmm. talk to banks and free banks, uh, they will decide uh, uh, whether to give us a loan and at what interest rate. And that will determine, like, uh, this is basically the best way uh, to make sure that money is put to good use instead of creating inflation.
0: Right. So that is
1: the theory, right? Mm-hmm. And so it's, um, and this is where, um, you know, as, as an economist, you would we say, well, the system must work, people are rational, they'll get it right. Uh, as an engineer, you, you, the way you see a productive system is like, a, you know, imagine a machine and you need to put, you know, oil in the right uh, wheels. Uh, you know it's not that uh, if you have a, a certain machine you just need to care that, that there's enough oil uh, you know in the whole plant you need to make sure that each machine get 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 its oil right and as soon as you start thinking about inequality uh, then you start asking questions you know if all this money is on one machine then the other machines is not going to run properly right and so the question of distribution came immediately to mind to me right like uh, it's it's uh, how does the distributional um, changing in, in where this income, wealth, uh, and at the end of the day, also money is accumulating. How does that change uh, the system, right? And so I always saw that um, you know this system uh, is is uh, is not self-regulating, right? Uh, the, the more you have inequality, the more that might be an issue. And then as you studied, there's actually quite a lot of uh, great books on on the way money works and and some issues. One one that I particularly recommend is. Uh, uh, the one of Adair Turner, uh, so between that and the devil, uh, where he basically looks at you know, where are all these banks' money going, right? Are they really going mm-hmm. to productive uses? Is this really the best way to create money? And what he finds yeah. is that actually you know, banks work as, uh, as profit-maximizing agents. So they do their job and they say, well, I'm going to give a loan to you, Kirk, if you have good collateral, which mm-hmm. means that most of this expansion of money goes to buy real estate. But you know, we know that the real estate is uh, is often time limited, especially if you're buying it, uh, you know, in New York City or in San Francisco. And then, so most of these, uh, you know, money creation goes to inflate the prices of of assets. It doesn't go to create a productive uh, uh, economic value, right?
2: Yeah. Uh, and so
1: this is just an example. So in my book, I go through through many examples of how this system of money creation, in theory, it should create value. In practice, uh, it's not always the same, right? Another yeah. interesting one is. Uh, you know, a, a bank is going to create this, this, uh, um, this, and give these loans to businesses that are relatively safe, right, or mature. So, so if you are a, if you are an oil company and you have an established business model and a lot of assets, you're going to get easy, easy loans. Uh, if you are a, a renewable energy company and you are like, you know, non-mature technology, likely smaller, you're not going to get as much loans, right? So, so even from a, from a climate change perspective. Creating most uh, expanding most of the money this way, it's going to benefit uh, incumbent and and established technology as opposed to the future. So bottom line, there's a lot of issues in in how money like it's not that we have solved this money puzzle, right? Like uh, yes, creating money is a very important topic, but we haven't solved it yet. And so my my idea was well, if we haven't solved it, uh, first is like uh, why did we tie it to cap? Like why did we think that the free market, uh, is really the best way to do it. Right. So, so there's a whole analysis in the book on, you know, even capitalism and this free market, you know, are, are they not oversold? And so, so there's a few, there's a few analysis there, but where I want to go is like, look, let's establish that this doesn't work. Why don't we just create this new money and give them at least equally to everyone, right? It seems to be the most, uh, not knowing any better, uh, just give the money to people. Uh, increase uh, increase uh, the money supply this way. Uh, at least you know you don't you don't you don't do anything wrong to anyone. Um, and the other benefit of it is that uh, um, you know the fact that we tie money with credit, and bank credit, it means that we can't increase the money supply without increasing debt, right? Yeah. Um, and so so that's also the other key change for me. Like is it now with also with inequality. So the more you have inequality, the more you need the uh, uh, a, a huge amount of debt to sustain the economic activity, right? Because, uh, because again, you need a huge amount of money. Because some of that money, otherwise, is stuck, you know, in the in the Bahamas, in 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 those that have a lot of wealth to uh, to hide, and yeah. therefore, there's not as much circulating, right? So, if you want to have more money circulating and 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 fostering economic growth. Uh, then you need more debt because because that's the only way we can create more money, right? And so yeah. that's why you see a lot of the debt-to-GDP ratio increasing and so on. They do increase with inequality and they will increase with, uh, I mean, there's many, many, many factors, so let's not oversimplify. Uh, but this is the other angle. And, and again, uh, this is where I think Steve Keen has, has a great uh, a proposal quite similar to mine, although a bit different. He says, "Well, at some point we need to do some debt jubilee, right? Because it's yeah. we can't keep we can't keep increasing this debt, especially if, you know, those that are that they can afford to repay it are accumulating more and more of it, and the credit goes on the balance sheet of those that actually have a lot of wealth and they don't know what to do with it, right? Yeah. Uh, and this is why interest rates are so low today. So, so this is a bit, uh, I think, the direction that that, that I'm." Uh, that I have taken with my book, right? Like uh, it's, uh, is let's change the way, uh, or at least a portion of the money, at least the new money we need to create every year. Yeah. Let's not ask, let's not basically assume that banks created and and it and, and in the best way. Let's look at what really we need to do. If we don't know any better, let's just give it to people, everyone the same. And, and that will also help decrease the debt because many of this money will go to repay that. Of course, you need to then do something for uh, so that the banks don't create more. Um, if you know better and we have a massive crisis in climate change, maybe we can use this new money that central banks could create and, and go directly to fund the, um, you know, a project that can help us tackle climate change.
0: This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory... Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. go to shopify.com/system all lowercase to take your retail business to the next level today that's shopify.com/ system
2: okay so so, um, so this is interesting I, I, and I'd like you to relate it to, to several um, other uh, ideas that are also in the uh, popular Domain that other people would be familiar with, so so we can help sort of uh, understand your proposals and, and theory uh, better. But uh, in, in terms of UBI, um, so so from my understanding, UBI is is central to to your idea of monetism uh, as as a, an alternative way of of uh, let's say money allocation as opposed to giving it to banks to create debt. Um, how is this Similar or different to Andrew Yang, Yang's proposal. Um,
1: so I know that Andrew Yang is, is is a big uh, supporter of universal basic income. I don't know the details of of how he plans to fund it and who was uh, who who plans to reach to receive it. Um, right. I think in in my so so there's there's a couple of uh, uh, there's a couple of things to consider. So I think first is uh, is the you know. The eligibility criteria, like who, who who should have these and and how much, right? So as soon as uh, the challenge is, as soon as you say everyone needs to get, uh, you know, something which is minimum living standards. So so I think uh, if I remember well, Andrew Young has something like a thousand dollar a month. Yeah. Um, so so that that one becomes quite expensive, right? So so if if you sum it up, you, you can't fund that with the, with. New money, like if, if if the central bank creates that money, gives them, like it, it will have to reduce significantly uh, than either the amount of credit that uh, um, that banks create or or they there needs to be a way to tax a portion of that away, right? So mm-hmm. I think that that that's one thing to consider. Um, the other things to consider is um, look, I, I think there's a lot of research that UBI works. A lot of pilot this shows that uh, it works uh, to reduce poverty, to improve well-being, to improve happiness, to improve health uh, situations, and so on. It also, many of these show it doesn't have an impact on people working less. Now, on this last one, this is where I think uh, there's a difference if you are piloting a program in a small community for a short amount of time. Uh, you know, Imagine you're receiving... A thousand dollar for two years, and then you don't see them anymore. Or it's difficult that you say, you know what, I'm just gonna chill out and stop working, right? So I actually think that I, I would hope that universal basic income, uh, like ultimately, allows people to work less. I don't mm-hmm. think this is a fault. This would be a feature of of, of such program, right? The yeah. question is what's the right timing and the right magnitude, right? Because uh, uh, you know, I, I do agree that hopefully in the future, um, you know, with uh, with artificial intelligence being um, able to substitute more working activities, and, and 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 you know the diffusion of this technology being more prevalent across society, because it's, you know it's not just enough that uh, you know IBM or or Google invents an algorithm, right? There's a lot to that that needs to happen from you know that that um, uh, if you want the creation of an algorithm to that becoming used in in across society in multiple organizations, right? So by the time that that happens, I think we are not talking about five, ten years, twenty years. Like I think we're still talking about quite quite a longer time, okay. since that can really happen at scale and, and meaningfully reduce the need for labor. And then I think we also need to to, to, be, to realize that I think our economy needs to really be turned around, uh, like to be sustainable, right? And that also requires work. So I, I don't think uh, we we can afford to basically saying, uh, you know we go with a program like ubi $1000 per person from tomorrow to everyone um forever right i think it's a bit risky so so my perspective would be to start with the potentially lower amount and make it more affordable uh and gradually increase it as you see as you see that indeed you need less work right um you know okay. there's an argument that so so to, so today, one of read, the, mm-hmm. the targets so one of the targets of your
2: ubi uh, proposal is to actually reduce the amount of work people have to do um so it's 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 much more than a than let's say a, a welfare type payment or or even more than a debt reduction type thing It it is really a a much deeper structural uh transformation am, am i right in in understanding it that way
1: yeah i think that is a uh... A social component uh, and and there is a, an economic component and i think both of them are important equally um mm-hmm. so so for me it's also uh, an economic instrument uh to if you want to balance a bit the uh, now i'm going a bit into economics jargon but the supply yeah. and demand of labor right
2: mm-hmm. uh,
1: in the sense that uh, you know most of the economic theories today are based on the assumption of full employment right. i mean I don't think the societies have been in full employment at any point in time in the last uh, in, in the last many years, especially if you consider the global economy, right? Like yeah. uh, the global supply of labor is massive. And by the way, one of the things that I work the most on is on uh, uh, adult training and reskilling, right? So I am actually yeah. a believer that if you put the money and if you put the time, you can you can upskill or, or reskill a, an adult worker into doing whatever is needed, right? So so the whole is t- the whole story of Oh, people don't have the right skill. Yeah, that might be true, but you can you can fix that, right? It's not something that that you can't work on. Right. So, so the story for me is one that uh, we already have uh, more labor than needed, uh, and so somehow the the you know we are not the, the negotiation of wages are not from uh, you know two equal parties where um, uh, you know it yeah. might be when, when for the high skilled workers, right? Which, which yeah. indeed there's a shortage. But otherwise, you know, the middle class, the the, the low skilled workers, uh, like uh, th- those, it's like it, you're, you're really saying on one hand you have an employer with a lot of choice, and on the other hand you have uh, you and, and you have uh, you know people that uh, you know this is my my livelihood, and and yeah. in, especially in some in some states in the U S, uh, in the U S in general more so than Europe, there's very little protection, right? So, so, and that's why wages, hourly wages, uh, inflation adjusted in the US, like uh, the median ones uh, have, have stagnated for the last four years, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so, there is already an imbalance. So, productivity is growing, but that productivity is increasingly captured, not by the workers, but by the, either the very high-skilled workers or the employers. And so, that imbalance, it's also first what also fuels inequality. Um, but but it's it's an imbalance that is not healthy, right? because it's a, it's a, it's not sustainable. And so for me, UBI is also um, a way to uh, fix that imbalance. So in my mind, and again, you need to then put it into models and and you know it's it's not easy, but uh, from a theoretical and conceptual perspective, the UBI should be set at the right level that you have enough people that start to you know work a few hours less a week, but basically they reduce enough the supply of labor. Um, so that uh um, that balance of you know the demand or supply of, of labor it's it's uh, it's it's more equal uh, it's, it's, and and so the wages are gonna naturally grow together with productivity so so that the for me the balanced economy is one where wages grow together with productivity i think this is a concept that most economies would also agree agree with and I use ubi besides as a social mechanism to you know make sure that people have a bit more safety net and can uh you know do things like taking some time off and 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 think of how to live a more uh, like a a purposeful life um but that also that's the social angle but on the economic angle i think ubi can be an important instrument to keep the economy in balance and especially keep the um balance between labor and 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 employers into negotiating wages
2: okay that's interesting and i mean so I mean, I'm I'm thinking of your theory of monetism. Also, uh, you know, certainly it as I, I guess not as a direct reaction to the Great Recession of 2008 and and so forth, but but certainly definitely influenced by it, and you know, and so you, you had things coming out of out of that like uh, Bitcoin. Um, uh, I suppose modern uh, monetary theory (MMT) and, and, and quantitative easing. Um, uh, th- then you have um, other. I, I think his name is Jason Hickel, um, out of uh, London, who really is um, promoting this uh, zero growth. Um, and so you you you, you have these, these other um, critiques uh, that have emerged. Post two thousand and eight, which I think share a lot of of uh, concerns and and perhaps even you know programmatic ideas with your own theory of monetism, but but also definitely are uh, have some differences. Do you, would you like to expand on any of that uh, for us?
1: Yeah, happy to. And uh, so let me start in general. I think we are at at a point uh, in which ambitious and more radical rethinking is neither at least just to raise the level of ambition and debate right i think it's not the time to small tweaks it yeah. might be the time for for, for, a, for a bit of a leap right i think in evolution you know oftentimes you have uh, you know uh you have the uh, saltation <laughs> yeah it's like uh, it's a uh, there is oftentimes you know there's the small um uh, you know the evolution goes into small steps and then there's a leap right yeah i think we, we we might be at the time where where some sort of leap is needed so i think any any of those type of uh you know deeper critique i'm very sympathetic with i think there's just value in, in increasing the level of uh you know let's let's really not be stuck into the all the all these institutional barriers and mental barriers we have we have imposed ourselves right mm-hmm. um i think in the three that you mentioned um I, th- I find more merit in some than others. Yeah. So let me start with Bitcoin, right? Because Bitcoin and in general, the cryptocurrencies that are uh, created and developed by, let's say, private players, I, I, to be honest, I, I don't understand them much because uh, they, they seem to start from the point of view of, I want a system which is more decentralized and not controlled by any authority. Right. Uh, at the same time someone is creating it I mean Bitcoin you could say you know it's just uh, it's just uh, it's just out there so there's really you know no one is creating no one is controlling it but to mm-hmm. some extent it's like this is not dissimilar to how banks operated in the 1800s right they, they, they used to be able to create their own currency so yeah. you have private currencies and the issue with that is that well they, they they kept basically losing value because the credibility of the of one individual bank oftentimes you know um Gave gave away, right? And so you right. had bank runs. So the reason we created central banks was exactly to to make sure that uh, you didn't have everyone creating their own currency. And then the people that most likely are are the least able to understand, you know, when is the time to get out faster They yeah. are the one losing out, right? So I think True. that problem is not solved. Bitcoin, in particular, I, I mean, I'll, 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 I'll not touch on the energy consumption, which is clearly a big issue, but uh, the fact that there's a limited supply of money. I mean, this is really backward, right? This is yeah. back to the gold standard. It, 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 like it, it, it,
2: Exactly. It's almost the opposite of what you're talking about. Bitcoin it, is kind of like uh, the gold standard, but even more rigid. But but you are sort of embracing the post-71 um, delinking. Am, am I correct in that understanding?
1: Yeah. And, and while I'm generally critical of traditional economic thinking i mean this is uh, it's really like uh, i think someone mentioned uh, the gold standard was a barbaric relic right it's uh, it's we have understood that uh, economies need to grow the money supply to grow to grow uh, also the value of what, the value of what we create right it mm-hmm. was completely senseless to tie with something that at uh, that you that you can't control right something that uh, you know it depends on how much gold you find or or uh, you know, you, you want something that you can control, and I yeah. have to say, central banks, I think, for what we have told them to do, I mean, they have done a pretty well job. So I'm 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 actually um, in general I'm not uh, as uh, critical in in the work of central banks in the sense that you know we have given them a certain mandate, a certain tools. We can disagree on the mandate. I do disagree on the mandate, uh, but they needed to keep inflation low. And, and you know they have succeeded. The problem is actually now that they they, they can't, they can't um, first they can't increase uh, economic growth and sustain economic growth. I think in Europe we haven't been able to hit uh, anywhere close to the inflation target, but we have been below. And then the other big problem, as I mentioned, is that uh, you know looking at an average inflation target is, is not great because you have a, a lot of inflation in house prices because of the way we structured the monetary system. Mm-hmm. Um, and and then yes, you have deflation in other in other uh, you know areas of, of society. But you look at the average, and and and, and then when you need to push up uh, uh, you know prices, you still do it by giving cheap credit to banks, which they give it to housing, right? So so it's uh, the problem is that I think central banks don't have the right tool to increase um, you know economic growth and inflation, but the good inflation. So so their their tool has to pass through mostly the banking system. Uh, which ends up again inflating asset prices, which is a big problem today. I mean, a lot of central banks are thinking about these problems, um, but but they have limited tools, and so that's why now central banks mostly are saying, you know, guys, we need the government to start, uh, you know, spending more money. We're buying their government bonds, but like uh, they are the ones that can do something different. We can only give cheap credit um, yeah. and and make credit cheaper and cheaper, uh, but this is not really going to help, right? So I think this is a bit right. on. On, on Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies, I think it's more of a walk to the past, to be honest, than, than a peek into the future. Mm-hmm. Um, on modern, modern monetary theory is is interesting, is interesting, right? And I think it has had a huge success in uh, basically saying something that uh, every economist knew, but mm-hmm. I think, uh, but I think most of people didn't, right? Like, uh, of course, the, a government that has its own currency. Cannot run out of money. This is this is very um, yeah. You know, it's uh, it's uh, exactly. Uh, But the but indeed, there's a lot of self-imposed you know uh, institutional regulations that that limit the amount of money that uh, that a government can create, right? And so then, uh, and some some are there for good reasons, right? And so that's a bit where I think my like uh, you know I'm very sympathetic of modern monetary theory. Um, mm-hmm. but I think there's a couple of areas where indeed I'm, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm wondering if, if they are too stuck in the, in the, in the T of the NMT, right. Which is the theory, yeah. right. Uh, because it's, uh, I mean, we had these systems and part of uh, why we have uh, somehow created independence between central banks and, and, and the treasury, um, of, of most, uh, um, developed economies is because we didn't, we, we felt that there, uh. Due to political pressure, it's too easy for governments to spend too much, and that spending ultimately is going to hit on the real constraint, which in, indeed is not is not the money that, of course, we have available, but it's the real resources that are out there, right? And so the question is, it goes back to, um, you know, I've read the, a lot of exchanges between, I think it's Paul Krugman that writes a lot against modern monetary theory yeah. and the modern monetary theory. So, so in this exchange, I find myself in the middle, right? because you know, I, I disagree with the view of traditional economists, and I think in this way, Paul, Paul Krugman is, is a bit, uh, um, you know, on that uh, on on that end, where he says, mm-hmm. you know, there's a limited amount of funds available out there. If if the if the public sector uh, basically absorbs them, then there are less available from the private sector. So I agree that this is this doesn't it's not true, right? Like uh, there's yeah. there's no such a limit to the amount of money because, as I mentioned, banks can create a lot of it. There's mm-hmm. a lot of different pools of money, so so the, the, there's no such a limit in the amount of money. But I think what what I think Paul has a, as a good uh, as a good uh, challenge is like, okay, it's not the money, but ultimately you hit a limit on real resources, right? And so the key right. question is back to, you know, should public spending ultimately occupy or basically uh, like make those resources busy and le- less of those resources. Ultimately, will be available to the private sector, right? So you'll hit the inflation limit earlier, and is that? Des- and so for me, is the question is is this desirable or, or not desirable? And and that's where for me it, go- it goes back to capitalism and and, and free market, right? Mm-hmm. The question that I pose, and, and a lot of the analysis on how well free markets are working today is, you know, maybe this is something that is, you know, we assume and, and economists assume that yeah, it's always a, if it's the government spending, it's always worse, right? Um and you know, first of all, I mean, I work in a lot of corporates. a lot of time there's waste also in private sector spending, right? So it's not that uh, you know there's only wasting one. Uh, but besides that, it's like you know there's a massive issue again with climate change. this is a market failure right? so so we are in a situation where that that one, you know, even calling the market failure, i mean this is a this is a complete disaster for me, right. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this is all because of, uh, yes, we said, the private, let's the private sector you know, uh, do their work, uh, let's the free market. Well, that was completely forgotten. Then you have inequality that keeps increasing. So, so the question for me is, are we really sure that uh, today, like uh, a developed government, like uh, in the US or, or in Europe, uh, if we let them spend more money, would that really create less societal value than if we let those money be ultimately investor and therefore the resource the real resources taken on from private institutions right for me is a question mark right like i am sure that as long as those money go to fund the climate change projects and they might be spent and, and used by a private company yeah? but it's the allocation point for me here right uh you know it's not about the public companies and or state-owned enterprises needed to operationalize and and and, and, and you know do stuff but i think the allocation like uh, compared to the allocation the banks are doing, I think there's a bit better allocation that we can do either again to a universal basic income or to say, you know, a certain amount of uh, like, let's let the public sector have a bit more room to allocate some some funds for projects that are really important for society. You know, maybe if, uh, if you know, we, we can afford less, uh, you know, it's going to be more expensive for some private company to to produce luxury goods. Uh, that's that's fine like uh it's uh, I think it's better if we invest more in climate change in education and 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 we fund a universal basic income maybe not immediately a thousand euro per month but some basic uh, basically I'm at the point where are we really sure that it's always better to let uh, you know uh, private sector manage resources as opposed to the allocation of resources as opposed to have uh, a bit more a uh, uh, public sector uh, allocated resources to private companies but on projects that are good for society and not good for whoever has the money to buy whatever the private sector is producing
2: right right now in in terms of um, your your idea of of outgrowing capitalism that that capitalism has outgrown its clothes um, you know you you mentioned things like uh, artificial intelligence so these sort of external, um, I suppose I don't know what to call the factors, pressures, or or, or whatnot, or, or changes of, of environment, which uh, um, which which might also make capitalism um, uh, at least as traditionally practiced, not useful. And you know, and then you, the pandemic, of course, has has um, changed things tremendously. Uh, the increasing national debt, increasing inequality. Uh, you know printing money and questions about the collapse of of the u s dollar uh the role of china uh you know uh, in the whole global um economy so all all these things that i i suppose would would also be challenges to the way capitalism is operated and and being conceived of so your theory of monetism i i just want to uh ask you how in, in terms of um, how you see it uh, as as a solution to perhaps these crises or or, or or crises like this, do do you see it as, as something that um, is is kind of a a natural a. Uh, 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 a, a, almost like an inevitable type solution, you know how some Marxists talk about, you know that that all the forces are are, are pointing in a certain direction to this theory, you know whatever particular theory they have of 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 uh, Marxism or communism or whatever. Uh, do 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 you see it like that, that? That the forces are inevitably pushing towards this sort of monetism, or or do you you see this as as something? That you you kind of have to be a a voice in the wilderness crying for for this political kind of movement. <laughs> how do you how do you see it?
1: Um, difficult question, but let me start with the closest uh, that I think we are to monetism, right? Because um, yeah. the if you think of the COVID pandemic is one example, and any cri- any major crisis um, basically needs some more directed uh, allocation of resources, right? Right. And that in the case of uh, uh, you know the COVID pandemic was you know the creation of several trillions um, by the central banks that could afford mm-hmm. to create those uh, and and the public allocating most of them right and some of them went uh, you know in basically checks in in the bank account of people yeah. um, some went to fight the specific uh, uh, challenge and the crisis which was a healthcare challenge right so I would say the more these crisis uh, will will come, and climate change is also uh, pointing, unfortunately, to more of these. Uh, the more And the more society is so unequal, uh, for, so therefore, there's a lot of people that would be literally, I mean, in Italy, we had people that says, guys, I, I can't afford to buy food at the supermarket, right? So it's like, yeah. the more you have those, the more society simply can't do anything else, but create those money and, and provide relief, right? Yeah. So, so for me, that is something we just need to get used to, and and to be much more rapid at doing so, right? Because uh, if you don't have the infrastructure, and this is this is, I'd love to uh, quote here Ben Bernanke. I think he was one of the first after the financial crisis in 2008 and 2009 to say, you, you know, we need to have ready at least the option and the infrastructure to use what I call helicopter money, which is a similar concept to what I what I say permanent money, but it's like. Um, you know, we need to have the option to be very quick at uh, in that case, was restarting the economy. But for me, is to provide relief, right? Like if we need to inject uh, uh, tomorrow a trillion euro because the economy needs it or because people need it, uh, if you have the central bank which has, for example, uh, a bank account of each citizen at the central bank, you can do that in a in a, literally in a heartbeat, right? Is a decision of you know the board of a central bank to say given the situation, we need to provide this relief instead of giving it to banks uh, by reducing interest rates or instead of buying government bonds and then hope that they figure out how to spend them. I basically click the button tomorrow and everyone has that money created in their bank account. So I think having that infrastructure ready, even if you don't use it, but just for emergency, I, I just can't see why we wouldn't do it. Right? I still remember I had a chat with one of the with with some senior uh, advisor in some in, in a central bank that I won't mention but like mm-hmm. uh, and I did mention you know it's like a, why don't you prepare right it's not a matter of like a, a, you know using it right but why wouldn't you start preparing this infrastructure uh, so that in case indeed that this 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 has to happen you you can you can activate it soon right and yeah. so in that case, I don't know how much, uh, you know, they were uh, just uh, very confident of all the learnings they had done through the financial crisis and they all felt that, uh, you know, we have so many tools that we can use, but like, uh, you know, it, they didn't seem as concerned um, as, as as I thought they should be. But for me, that one is crisis requires oftentimes money. And if we want to put money in the pocket of citizens, best to have the infrastructure ready. Uh, and so that means a central bank account uh, for each citizen. So that is, I think, is the closest. That uh, um, I just don't understand why we're not doing it. Uh, right. I think mostly it's a political issue in the sense that as soon as you do that, on one end you start thinking, oh, but then you know you're crowding out the banking sector, you're destabilizing the banking sector because there are a lot of discussion also on central bank digital currencies these days, right? Like uh, that yeah. are emerging, and so those uh, one of the one of the challenges uh, and, and one of the uh, I would say. Fear of many central bankers to to, to go for these uh, digital currencies is, you know, if people take all their money away from banks, like, uh, you know, I destabilize the system, right? I think there's ways to manage that. Um, but I think it's, uh, you know, ultimately we, we, we go there. It's, it's just going to take its time, right? So I'm positive, especially with the reaction to the COVID crisis. And by the way, I, I'm really. Uh, very positively impressed by the ability and quality of central bankers right i think i think they have uh, um they, they have much improved the uh reaction to crisis for example compared to the 29 and, and to other crises in the past um uh, it's just a question of uh um, they, they are not risk takers so so they 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 really want to stick to their mandate and and therefore that the push needs to come from outside it's almost like i feel the central bankers need the uh, the help of the government and of the, you know, the people. At the end of the day, to to allow them to to change the way that they can operate. Um, so, so that's on on uh, you know something that I hope it's inevitable and it's just a question of time. Right. Um, I think I think on on going as far as uh, I mean, for me, is really a question of uh, how much should we still rely on the banking industry um, as opposed to um as, as the major source of allocating resources right and therefore right. The, the free markets and so for me is uh my hope is that really is it's the climate change angle here that comes to play right um mm-hmm. we, we just uh we just need to over invest um uh, and if there's some waste uh, you know that's uh that's uh, you just plan right like uh it's uh it's fine it's a uh, it's, it's a risk it's it's all a better it's a uh, uh, your account there will be some waste but i'd rather really over invest in in, uh, in turning the economy uh, into a sustainable one and 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 this needs to be directed with with incentives right like uh, you need public incentives so uh what i hope is that uh indeed like at uh, the public debt to gdp will will grow so much that at some point it will just first people will just get used to it yes there's uh you know this is uh, this is the way it is and 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 we're fine with it And then on the other end, with all this um, money that is generated through public deficits, at the end, uh, that means that naturally, like uh, central banks will need to tighten, um, you know, the and increase again interest rates, which haven't been high for 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 a lot of time, because that will of course generate pressure on inflation, right? So I I do have the hope that actually this is inevitable. So we are we are walking into it and stumbling into it, and unfortunately, of course, if you walk and stumble into these things, uh, it's it's a bit more painful. But I do think it's uh, in some directions are inevitable. Um, the hope is indeed that uh, uh, my my screaming and this book uh, basically makes enough people say, "Why don't we? Why don't we kind of strategize a bit and plan for this rather than just keep walking in into it, crisis after crisis." Right, right.
2: So, well, that might be the answer to my um, final question because I, I was going to ask, you know. What you know, as we wrap up, you know, what message would you like to leave your readers with? That that sounds like it is it, or or is there something else?
1: I mean, that's that's kind of my hope, right? It's uh, I, I I do believe that uh, um, uh, the policymakers do listen a lot to to the opinion of people, right? Um, yeah. And so for me, the more, especially the more educated, as so, so if this this is going to universities, right? Uh, unfortunately, it, it is the case. I remember that I read the research that most of uh, the opinions and the, and the needs of uh, you know the the lower middle class and middle class is actually something that doesn't really matter for policymakers, which is a bit sad. But that's the case. But for those that are more educated and uh, and and closer to I guess those circles, uh, those opinions uh, it's it's what uh, actually policymakers do really look at, right? And it's also what skews uh, much of the rest of the population. So. This is a bit why I wrote this book, definitely not in economic language. Like I still thank my ghostwriter where I basically picked one that had no idea about economics. And I said, look, turn my boring uh, writing style mm-hmm. uh, into something that people will actually understand and love. Um, and, and so that's my hope, right? The, bo- the hope is that this book actually educates much more uh, the, the general population on how things are, why they are this a certain way, but also how how they could be right and and many of these things are really self-imposed I I, wouldn't, I don't like to call it self-imposed are, are basically regulations uh, embedded in institutions because at a certain time in history this was the right way to do to do things uh, right. i think things are changing though and and you know it's important to have institutional rules because it allows uh you know for uh, for things not to go off track and and uh, and you know to keep kind of the the learning of the past to keep them in the future but at some point, these rules and, and regulation and institution and even the way we think uh, is, is, is really a barrier to further progress, right? And so my mm-hmm. message is basically, uh, let's understand what these um, rules are, which of these still will serve us for the future. But it's really the time to rethink uh, you know, these rules and these institutions because, uh, because now, now the world is really shifted and it will shift much more in the future. So it's a time of innovation and, uh, and rethinking. Uh, rather than a time of uh, you know just uh, looking at the rules and institution and say well this is this is this is the way it is or oh, this is, this can be different.
2: Okay, right, good. Well, before we go, are there any uh, projects that you're working on right now that you'd like our audience to know about?
1: Uh, I mean, look, this book has been seven years the uh, path okay. for me so i think now i'm quite excited to get it out finally yeah. and uh, and so this is i would say the main one mm-hmm. uh the the one more than a project but a wish list is uh, is really changing the way economics is taught at school right like i had this yeah. uh particular angle of having seen this through a multidisciplinary uh, lens. I do work a lot in education as well, and and that's a lot of value in, in interdisciplinarity. And I think ed- economics somehow is quite closed mm-hmm. and typically taught as a mono uh, discipline. Um, and I, I think like my, my if you want one of my pet projects in 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 the next decades will be to uh, find a way to somehow reshape the way education uh, ed- economics is taught in in schools. But this is more of a wish list. I haven't yeah. started it yet. I've spoken to a few people uh, in the education world. Uh, let's see if they pick it up and they and they get convinced about my book.
2: Okay, well, very good. Well, thanks so much for this interview. It's been very informative and enjoyable.
1: Thanks, Kirk. It was enjoyable to me as well. Thanks for inviting me.
2: Great. Well,
1: once again, the book is
2: Outgrowing Capitalism, Rethinking Money to Reshape Society. And we've been speaking to the author, Marco Dondi. Thanks also to you, our listeners. Make sure you sign up for our notifications so you don't miss any new interviews on this channel in the future. I look forward to seeing you on the next episode.